0: This is from Maine with Love, an Allagash Brewing podcast where we talk about beer, our community here in Maine, and things that generally make us happy. Uh, And I'm very happy to welcome Paul Hunt, the Environmental Services Manager of Portland Water District, and Matt Marcotte, Executive Director of Loon Echo Land Trust. And as always, Liz, Liz Wilson here, and I'm Brett Willis a uh, senior communication specialist at Algash.
1: So Brett, we talked with our friends from Sebago Clean Waters today. We talked with Paul and Matt mm-hmm. and, you know, Sebago Clean Waters is doing some really um, great work to help conserve the land around Sebago Lake, which is the watershed that we belong to here in Portland. And I will just say, I'm feeling great. Yeah, It was a really positive and optimistic, uh, outlook on the work they're doing. And so I don't know.
0: Yeah. And if you're the type of person who thinks water is not cool, then this is not the podcast for you because this makes water really cool. Uh, Uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating and agreed. It's like, I I say it during the podcast, but this is like one of the most hopeful things I've heard in the past, like three years. So I'm like, I'm, I am jazzed up by the conversation we had. About yeah, water conservation. So, uh,
1: yeah, so tune in, uh, grab a glass of water. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> tune in grab to a our. cool glass
0: of water. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, and listen to how Sebago Clean Waters is going about conserving land around Sebago Lake, the source of all of the water that we at Allagash use. And one of the, it's the number one reason Allagash beer tastes good. Jason's going to be really angry about <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> or brewmaster would not like it. No, it is one of the many reasons why our beer tastes great because it is incredible. You're going to learn some facts about this water that's going to kind of blow your mind. So, if that sounds good to you, well said, give it a listen. Uh, Before we dive into the topic at hand, which is going to be talking about uh, Spago Lake, our water source here at Allagash, and for many people in Maine, um, and also efforts that um, Paul and Matt are undertaking to preserve that water source, uh, I got to ask some good secret questions (laughs) for each of you. We started it this way. It's going to be a question that you actually want to answer, I hope. So, Paul, we're going to start with you. Uh, I've heard you're a fan of music mostly from some some 60s era music, that sort of thing. What's the most memorable live performance that you've uh, witnessed? I was going to say favorite, but I feel like memorable you know, it's a little more open. Uh,
2: I saw Wilco in Lowell, Mass. I don't know, maybe it was 10 years ago. I've seen them 31 times now, but I don't remember whoa, which one whoa. that was. Maybe it was my 23rd or 24th, but <laughs> it started pouring. I mean, really pouring. And so for about 20 minutes, my brother and I were trying to stay dry. And then I just reached this moment where I thought, no, I don't want to stay dry. And I just like embraced it. And my shoes were full of water. And I was, it was like you dipped me in a lake. And I loved yeah. it. I thought, this is
0: what rock and roll is supposed to be. That that's a, awesome that is an amazing answer all right yeah. Matt yours uh, here you're, you're' you you enjoy the outdoors particularly some downhill skiing what is your uh, favorite type of trail are you a blue square black diamond double black or a backcountry person yeah it's
3: a that's a good question um, I mean I like it all okay. you know
0: put me on two pairs of
3: skis it doesn't really matter yeah. um, downhill uphill sideways <laughs> upside down Um <laughs> I, I guess my philosophy about skiing is um, whoever's having the most fun is winning the day. Ah. And so it doesn't really matter in that sense, like who's, you know, what your objective is or what you're trying to ski. You know, you could be skiing for the first time ever. Yeah. And if you're having the most fun, then you're winning the day, as far as I'm concerned. But um, I love it. What a great ski season we've had here in the Northeast. I mean, it's been kind of like, it's been a weird one, but it's, lot of good skiing and yeah we're jealous of our friends out west but they need the water so yeah um, happy for them
0: it's good that's good I feel like when I was I I'm a snowboarder and I I much of my experience is putting too much pressure on myself like "Ah, I should be doing more stuff I should be hitting that jump but then I I agree like I'm just I'll become a blue person just Mm kind of cruise get some good speed get some sort of snow on the sides it's good I like that philosophy (laughs) Liz are you are you ready
1: Oh, well, I'm ready, Brett.
0: <laughs> this always gets a question. All right. Most memorable recent food experience in Portland?
1: Gosh, lots to choose from. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. We went to the garrison for the first time, um, maybe in in March for my husband's birthday. And it was so lovely. And it was like a really crummy night. It was like drizzly, freezing cold. But you're right on the river and it nice. was pretty quiet. And so we got to chat with... Uh, the the staff and just hear about all the foods they have. Sort of small, they small plates, I guess, and they're all super interesting. And I love a good small plate because then I can try a lot of different things. And yeah. so I think that is probably my most memorable food experience recently. But nice, you all know I'm at Tandem at least once a week. So oh, uh, yeah. it's um, that's it's my so go to. Just so all good. right, Brett.
0: Oh, we don't I leave you out again. Oh, man.
1: What's your favorite hour of the day?
0: Whoa. That, wow. That takes me by surprise. Oh, (laughs) man. I'll I'll give you you one. I'll give you a very specific one. Five in the morning when I wake up before my children have woken up. I know they're going to wake up soon, but if I get a chance to make coffee and then read a little bit at five in the morning before it's even light, that's like...
1: I'm right there with you. Me. I'm yeah. usually six six to seven before I have to like really think about what's happening.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. And I I, I am like, you know, diametrically opposed to all the two o'clock people. Whoever is two o'clock out there, two o'clock can just be expunged from the record. <laughs> I don't know. I don't like two. No, actually, you can, cut, you can cut that out of the podcast. I don't really have anything to get to. All right. Um, <laughs> we're uh, We're going to start. Yes. All right. I think, Paul, we're going to start with you. And I think that the place to start is kind of a is helping people become acquainted with Sebago Lake exel- itself, what we're talking about today. And so I've watched some some footage you've provided of, of some talks you've given, and I've like there are some incredible facts around Sebago Lake. So to rattle a few off, it's the second largest lake in Maine. It's the deepest lake in Maine. And it makes us, as I've heard you say, Paul, kind of the Saudi Arabia of water here in Maine. We have an abundance of water. And so can you kind of put the amount of water in Sebago Lake into perspective so that someone can kind of grasp that?
2: um sure um sebago lake has about a trillion gallons of water and i used to think a trillion was the same as infinite like if if you said that number to me 10 years ago i would have said well that's like you'd never reach the end of it and then there was the great financial collapse of 2008 and we heard about trillions of dollars being lost overnight so i know it's not infinite but it's a very big number and Mm -hmm. it's this big um our customers consume 22 million gallons of water in a day. And so over 365 days, that's 8 billion. So 8 billion gallons is a lot of water, but we have more than 800 billion. So in Sebago Lake. So therefore that's a hundred years. Um, I guarantee you, there are communities in California that have one year in their reservoir, maybe three years. We have more than a hundred years. So, um, we really, if you ever read in the paper that Portland, Maine is short of water, then Armageddon has happened. That will, that will not happen to us before it happens to virtually everybody else. And so we're very fortunate and we have an obligation to, in my, in my view and in our view, in, for, to future generations to treat it like it's as precious as it is.
0: Totally. You had another one too about like the amount of water we could give to every person on earth currently from just Sebago Lake well yeah the, that there that are was? eight
2: billion people on earth right right so right. that's a hundred gallons per person and we wouldn't Jeez. run out for every single human being on earth right that's how much water is in Sebago Lake oh, so nuts
1: and we ser- and uh, Sebago Lake I think it's around 200,000 people it serves roughly yes, um, right. and that is sort of the greater Portland area are we consuming Average amounts of water twenty two million is that what you said a day? Yes, that feels like a lot of water. Yeah.
2: But for I would I would answer it this way that we we all imagine and I just got this number recently or this graph and so I, it surprised me. We all imagine that as population grows, as there are more people, we're just consuming more and more of everything, right? Mm-hmm. Right,
0: right.
2: We have been providing about twenty to. Between 18 and 22 or 24 million gallons per day every day since 1963. I saw the graph and it's flat. It's flat. And and yet we're adding about 500 new services, a service meaning a connection to the system, like a house would be connected. That's a service. We add about 500 each year. And we've been doing that you know, steadily because you know, there's more houses built and more connections, and yet we're not consuming more water. So that's another piece of good news. You, know, you don't get good news yeah. that often, but yeah. we have 100 years worth of water. Our population has grown since 1963 in greater Portland, but we are still using about the same amount of water as a, as a society, as a, as a community as we were
0: then. Do you have a hypothesis for why that would be? Is it efficiency or? There's no. Co- I'm sure multiple factors. Yes.
2: No, no question that there's efficiency. People are more mindful. You buy a new toilet nowadays, and it uses a gallon right. instead of it using five gallons, and all of that combined. You know, it's 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 a good. It's a, it's a really good thing to think about because sometimes can it feel like. The challenges of environment are so big that there's nothing anyone can do. Oh, throw up your hands and just forget it. Well, actually, when we work together, you know, that's individual decisions being made in every home, all added together actually has resulted in we can provide water to more people without using up more of the resource.
0: It's like the most optimistic thing I've heard in like three years.
1: Wow. We're getting (laughs) off on a great foot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, so I, another thing that actually ties to this, I think that this sort of idea of things remaining uh, static over the years uh, is the quality of the water. So can you talk a little bit to the quality of the water in Sebago Lake?
2: Um, of course, there are 100 different ways to measure water quality, and we don't have time to go over all 100 of them. So sure. I'm just like I'm just going to give you two examples. One thing that a water utility like ours does is every single day we test the lake water before mm-hmm. we've done any treatment at all. So this is what we call raw water. This is what's in the lake. And any lake is going to have some bacteria in it. There are birds flying over it. There are animals. There are people in the watershed. There are people right. swimming in the lake. So you, you're not going to – It's it would be – it would not be unreasonable to expect, and we always you know anybody that samples from a lake is going to detect some bacteria, so the Safe Drinking Water Act says a system such as ours needs to test for the raw water every day for fecal coliform bacteria, and as the name implies, these are bacteria that you would associate with the warm blooded mammals and the intestinal tract of warm blooded mammals okay so hmm. we're spo- we test that every day, and the number has sure. to be fewer than twenty colonies per hundred milliliters of water. of the time so what that means is that when we take a sample 10% of the time we could get a number bigger than 20 and that's still okay because remember the water is about to be disinfected three times right but you don't want to see a lot of fecal bacteria in your raw water even though you're disinfecting it okay so we can fail that test is a way to put it 90 uh, 10% of the time and we're still okay We've done that test. We started the requirement started in the early nineties. We've done it about, I think, the number I last calculated was seven thousand times. So, if we've Mm -hmm. done that test seven thousand times, and we can fail it ten percent of the time, that means seven hundred times we could have had a number greater than twenty, and we would be okay. Seven hundred, we've had we've had a number over twenty twice in thirty years of testing. So Sebago Lake is not only is it an enormous quantity of water that we're so lucky to have, it is of outstanding quality. Like when we show these numbers to our colleagues in other states and in other, even other parts of Maine, they don't accuse us of faking it but it, it almost seems unreal <laughs> like it just seems too good to be true yeah. and so how are
0: we faking
1: sure, it sure paul can you can you sure. let us know how <laughs> yeah
2: that's amazing so that's I, i'll really give you cool. one other example and that's turbidity you know you, you just yeah. as the name mm-hmm. implies turbidity mm-hmm. is how much crud is kind of floating around in the water could be algae could be dirt mm-hmm. so yep. we, and we measure that continuously so there's a meter on the intake as the water is drawn in from the lake it's running through this device that shines light through it and h- mm-hmm. the amount of light that gets deflected away is a measure of how much of how much turbidity is in the water we we have to stay under 5 the turbidity units doesn't matter but under 5 sure. our numbers we have it continuously, I can show you the graph, over 10 years, it's never been over 0.5, in fact it's usually under 0.3, and it never wow. varies, we can get a storm event, We it doesn't make any difference because we're drawing water off the bottom of this trillion gallons of water, so it's sort of yeah. protected from... I'm sure at the surface, if you have a big rain event, you could probably see, you would see the turbidity rise a little bit up there. But mm-hmm. down where mm-hmm. we're drawing the water from, it, we never see a number that's even close to 10% of what we have to be under. So there's another wow. example of we, we just have such a precious resource that we are gifted with. Let's just not mess it up, I guess, is the way I would, uh, the advice I would give.
0: Totally. So I've got, I've got one for Matt then that ties directly to this. So the quality of the water is not necessarily coming from the lake itself, but the land around the lake. Could you kind of talk a little bit to how that works?
3: Yeah, so the, the land around the lake, otherwise known as a watershed, mm-hmm. is supplying all of that water into the lake itself whenever there's a rainstorm or we have snow melts. That water ends up back into the lake. It's flowing through rivers, streams, uh, sometimes culverts, etc., making its way slowly, sometimes quickly,
0: back into Sebago Lake. There you go. And so it's that it's the quality of that land around the lake that is giving us the quality of the water within the lake. And so, I guess what are, what are some of the main factors? Uh, like what are the most important parts of that land around that that makes it so the water is getting filtered?
3: we've got a heavily forested landscape
0: sure. in the Sebago Lake watershed.
3: And, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. The legacy of land ownership in the Sebago Lake watershed is not that different from land ownership throughout Maine. Uh, there's a long history here of industrial land ownership, supplying raw material to paper mills and in, in Westbrook, like Sappy and, and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And the, the dominant Land owning regime for decades and decades and decades in the watershed was for the commercial production of of timber, hmm. and if you want to sell trees, you need to have trees <laughs> on the landscape, <laughs> sure. and um, and that's that's one of the reasons, and um, there are many others as well. Just a, a, a long legacy of private land ownership of of folks who are uh, have been great stewards and an ethos of stewardship, forest land stewardship in Maine. It's. It's a uh, it's a story of Mainers doing what Mainers do, which <laughs> is spending time on their mm-hmm. land and deriving income from yeah. it when and how they can. Interesting.
1: I think between that and what Paul mentioned, you know, so what do we do with this sort of precious resource? And you know, we've been fortunate as a brewery to work alongside you in partnership for a few years now. Um, so, you know. Tell us a little bit about Sebago Clean Waters and the efforts that it's you have come to sort of create to to you know make I feel like a greater impact uh, as a group of people instead of any single entity trying to to, to protect Sebago Lake.
3: Yeah, I'll 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 start sure. probably back in the 80s um, before I was born. <laughs> um, age myself there really quickly. Um, millennials, uh, <laughs> shout out. Yeah, there you um, go. Um, and in, in the 80s in Maine, there was a, um, a big transition in land ownership occurring, happening all throughout the state. Uh, paper mills that had been vertically integrated, meaning they own the mill, they own the land, they own the resource. Um, that that model was changing, that dynamic was changing. And we, we were seeing in Maine um, a large transition in land ownership. And with that um, sort of Became and for, and for other reasons as well, evolved the land conservation movement as we as we know it today mm. in Maine. The land trust that I work for, Luneco Land Trust, was formed in 1987. That's like the year. It feels like when land trusts <laughs> were formed, it's like 1985, <laughs> 1986, 1987. They um, just made one so.
1: seal and everyone used
3: it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um. And so our land trust has been working to conserve land in the, in the watershed since then. And, you know, like a lot of sort of, you know, grassroots startup nonprofits for the first 10, 15, even 20 years of the land trust's existence, it was led by volunteers. Um, it wasn't until 2000 that the land trust had its first full time staff and, and did a lot of great work. Um, did it at a, at a, I don't want to call it a slow pace, but a pace that I think was indicative of that grassroots effort and the ability, capacity, resources that were available. Yeah. And then in the 2000s, um, a predecessor um, uh, at, at Echo, a former executive director, had this great idea to get in touch with Paul at, uh, at Portland Water District and say, hey, we think that our land conservation work is probably having an impact on your water resource downstream. I mean, the science is you know pretty clear there. Yeah. How, how would you like to help us uh, protect land, and um, and there was a land deal that the land trust was working on, and uh, Paul can probably talk more about that specific moment of literally when the first financial contribution from Portland Water District was made yeah. to a land conservation project in the watershed, but that that was that was the start. And as land trusts have gone since then, um, and I'm speaking just to the, to the sort of movement as a whole, we've gotten a a lot more sophisticated. We've become more professional. Mm -hmm. We understand how to gain access to resources, financial resources. And of course the need for the services that we provide has just continued to increase for a variety of reasons. And so in 2015, 16, somewhere around there, we, um, we sort of got together and said, let's, let's do more. Let's do even more than what we're doing. And we solicited the help of our friends at the nature conservancy in Maine, mm-hmm. trust Republic land, regional and, and national conservation organizations to catalyze the work that was being done. And that's how Sebago clean waters was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can say um, undoubtedly from my position, It has worked. And what we've been able to do since then is um, significantly increase the pace of land conservation in the watershed. Really in response to changes here in Southern Maine, we're seeing development pressures increase. We're seeing people move here. It's great. Who doesn't want to live in Maine, right? That's Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I can't blame people for wanting to be here. We want to welcome people here, but we've got to figure out how to... Do development
0: in a way that's not going to impact these resources, especially our water resources. Totally. So I have two two follow up questions. Follow up question one is: Who are the members of Sebago Clean Waters for our listeners? Paul, help me if I help me out if I leave <laughs> okay. anybody
3: out here. I believe now we're up to ten. Really? Oh, I ten it members. Was seven. Yep. that was where my brain was. Um, okay. Awesome. Yeah. So. um, so, of course, Portland Water District, mm-hmm. um, the land trust I work for, Luneco Land Trust, based out of Bridgeton. Um, Western Foothills Land Trust, based in Norway. Lakes Environmental Association, it's a lake association based in Bridgeton as well. Mahusik Land Trust, mm. based in Bethel. Uh, I mentioned Trust Republic Land, which is a national conservation organization. The Open Space Institute, it may have said the Nature Conservancy in Maine already. Um, the Highstead Foundation, which is a conservation foundation based in Connecticut. Mm. Paul, who else am I missing here? Um, Casco Bay. Estuary I was going uh, to add a, that. Uh, yep. That's a, that's a program of the University of Southern Maine based in um, in Portland. And if you're looking for another podcast, uh, um, content for their podcast, the story of Casco Bay yeah. mm. and what has happened in Casco Bay in the last 40 years is another incredible yeah. uh, story of resource protection here. Um, and Paul, uh, Presumpscot
2: regional land trust,
3: um, which is a, a Portland based land conservation organization
2: I think you got all of them. I wasn't counting. I will feel terrible if we left anybody <laughs> out because we can website.
1: we can make sure we can put it in the notes on our, our podcast. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yes, what I, what do. I want to yeah. add
2: to that was a great job, Matt. You get the A for um, for remembering all of the organizations. It's. It, it, We're very different. Like there's a water utility, there's some land trusts, there's some national Mm -hmm. conservation organizations, there's an estuary partnership, there's a lakes association. And you might say, why are they all at the same table working together? And the Mm -hmm. answer is conserved forest yields so many different benefits, not just Clean water, which it does. It's critical to clean water. And that's what brings, that's what sort of first brought us to the table. But others joined us because they said, well, what about? sustainable forestry many of the lands that are conserved through our effort are working forest lands so they're producing woods jobs and woods products as they're cleaning the water there's wildlife habitat is being Mm -hmm. conserved and protected and connected Like if you can protect several pieces of property that gives deer more room to roam which is really important there's fisheries there's clean cleaner air there's carbon sequestration which is kind of a When I first heard that word, I thought that's a terrible word for it, but it's like locking up carbon in the soil and in the the trees so that it's not in the atmosphere where it's leading to changes in climate. So all of those things, I often say to people, you can either spend $8 doing eight different things or spend $1 on forest conservation and eight good things come out of it. And so the partnership is so powerful because each partner brings a different kind of skill set and a different... Ethic and a different. We're related, you know. We're related. We have related goals, but they're different. And therefore, it's almost like I'm not sure how to do this. Matt, do you know how to do this? And he'll say, Oh, luneco's done that many times. And so then mm-hmm. they're contributing that. Other times they'll say, Can the water district do this? And oh, yeah, well, that's easy for us, but hard for you. And um, you have to kind of leave ego behind, organizational ego, and you just have to hold hands, sort of, and say, Let's do this together.
0: That's awesome.
1: Talk a little bit about some of your goals and, you know, as a, as a collective, a collective uh, and then, you know, where you are today since sort of Sebago Clean Waters
0: was formed. And I think I have, I have a question that might come right before that, that'll lead you into it. So, Paul, you've talked about the sort of strides that have been made to preserve or conserve this land and kind of like laying out what happened in, you know, like the previous hundred years of Portland Water District and then what mm-hmm. has happened in the previous like 20, I guess.
2: Great. I love that question. Okay. So, you know, land has been conserved in the watershed even before 1987 when, you know, as Matt points to like year one for the land trust. Yeah. Um because there's Sebago Lake State Park, there's a little bit of White Mountain National Forest in the watershed, and there are p- conserved lands of other types. And the water district purchased some land over the over the last century um, around the lower bay, which is where our water intakes are. So I call it the green collar around lower bay is land that we've purchased and that we own to protect to protect to protect the lake. Mm-hmm. All, all that together, one hundred and fifty years of conservation conserved about ten percent of the land area in the watershed, as Matt said, all the land around the lake that drains in the lake is called the watershed, ten percent of it is conserved forest, ninety percent of it by or eighty five or so is is forest is healthy forest but you can see the gap there that it's healthy forest right. but it's privately owned and therefore could be developed. So right. our goal is to get that number from 10% conserved to 25% conserved. We're already up almost to 16%. So wow. 150 years 10% got conserved in 20 years another 6% and we're still going and 25% is a, is a more in line with what a water supply really, you know, there really should be. Others have 80% of their watershed protected. Sometimes it's 75, sometimes it's 30, 10% is really at the low end. And so I, so there's the great irony is we have the, the most quantity of water, you know, of anybody that I, you know, any water utility I know who really has a hundred years worth of water in reserve and it's outstandingly clean because of the yeah. forest but the forest is not protected from development. And we're not trying to pre- prevent development. As Matt said, we need development. We need people to move to, you know, people are gonna to move to Maine and they need a place to live. And we are supportive of that. We're not, but if we can get the watershed up to 25% conserved, and then the other, the rest of it is well-managed and cared for as it has been, we'll be in so mm-hmm. much better, you know, we'll be handing something to our children, and our grandchildren that they will thank us for.
0: That, so it just kind of raises a question that I've always had is like, what is, what is the difference between good development and sort of less good development? You know, what are we looking for out of that? And I'll, I'll tell you that, you know, we're,
3: we're not, um, we're not developers, we're not planners, (laughs)
0: right? You know, we
3: are, um, you know, I'm, I'm a land conservation practitioner. Paul's a a water scientist, but, um, we have, you know, we have opinions, both personal (laughs) and professional about this. And, the The type of development that we don't want to see in the watershed is what most people think about as sprawl. Okay, sprawl development. Um, There has been this sort of um, ethos or or, um, way of being in many rural parts of the country that uh, associates density with bad environmental outcomes. There is this idea that you know, if I go live in my two, three, four, five, six acres and care for it, that I'll be doing better by the environment. And not to say that folks who have their you know little slice of heaven out here in rural Maine aren't great stewards of their land. Right. But again, as more people are moving here, we've got to look at what the data and what the science tells us. And what what that tells us is that higher density development is better for environmental outcomes. Hmm. Here's an example. If you can take a hundred acre piece of land, if we can concentrate our development on 15 acres of it, and protect the remaining 85 acres, that's going to lead to a better environmental outcome. That's great. And in order to to create the, the, the types of services and development that we need on the 15 acres to provide for a growing population, we've got to be smart and innovative and creative about what that development looks like. Um, so thinking about um, where services are related to people, this is a this is especially an issue in rural communities where people are driving forty minutes mm. sometimes to get to a grocery store, mm-hmm. or you know thirty minutes to get to a doctor, right. or you know there's kids on school buses. They're spending an hour and a half on the school wow. bus to get to school in rural Maine. So, anyways, that's you know that's the paradigm that we want to use and that or that we believe in in terms of that relationship between development and environmental and natural resource protection.
1: And I think it's worth mentioning that Sebago Lake is not in a rural part of Maine and it's a lake that is a multi-use purpose. It's it's only about 15 miles away from Portland and so it's it is a fairly dense, you know, area considering the whole state of Maine and it is used there's a you know a lot of homes that surround the lake is used for recre- recreational purposes people enjoy it so it's not you know this is a lake that a lot of people enjoy and is not just solely you know for our uh, you know, protected, and right. you can't you can't enjoy it, so I think it's worth you know for anyone that's listening that's not local to maine like this is a lake that gets a ton of use from the community, and so I think as you're talking about development, you of course want to strike that balance where people that come here and you know can still enjoy that, and we're also doing the the work of Um, keeping it protected for the future
2: if you think about you know maine is so prized why do people want to move here well i I always say there are two there are two two types of people in maine those who were born here and those that rushed here because it's such a great place well (laughs) every both of those types of people either you you were born here and you never want to leave or you were born elsewhere and you came here treasure the woods there's no i've never yeah. met a person who lives in maine that doesn't treasure the woods and so what sebago clean waters is trying to do um is to ensure to keep maine maine which means healthy you know working forests good for water quality room for people to live but if you want to buy a, if you're going to build a house in maine or come and buy a house or or rent you want woods around you or there, you, you wouldn't come to maine you'd go someplace else and so yeah. I, i've given probably s- Fifty talks about what we're doing over the years um, almost since before Matt was born, but not quite that long, but it has been <laughs> I, I've been working on this for a long time and I've given a lot of talks and I can, I can read the audience, I think pretty well. And I also field questions. There's, I've not met a person that doesn't like the idea of let's conserve some of the main forest so that our water is clean. Who's yeah. against that? There is nobody against it. Um, and so, and that's why I feel like we have such support. We, we really have not met anybody. I've not met anybody that says, I don't like what you're trying to do, how we do it and the details of it. Okay. We can disagree on maybe a detail here or there, but the goal of what we're trying to do is just keep main, main for all the main people who are here now and all the ones who are coming.
0: So it's kind of a good segue into how have partners helped In that sort of goal, you know, you have everyone who's a part of, you know, Sebago Clean Waters directly has a very direct hand in that. And then I guess like, you know, we are obviously one of the partners, but I feel like there have been multiple, you know, there have been a lot of people who have been involved in this. So how does that kind of, how do partners help?
2: So um Matt, if you if I can start, and then I think you, since you have been much more involved with partners <laughs> than I have, I I want you to take it from there. But I'm going to give you the water district perspective because sure. I was you know Matt's predecessor at Luneco who approached me and said, "We're trying to conserve forests. Would the water district help?" You know, I, I remember thinking it sounds like a great idea. Like, why wouldn't we? But we didn't have a program for this. We didn't have. We weren't really going down this road. Independent. It was almost like that idea was born that day and our board has been so supportive. But what they've also said is there are more, there are many beneficiaries. As I talked about earlier, a conserved piece of forest in the watershed does benefit all of our customers. And therefore it would make sense that the water district would be contributing to that. But there are many other beneficiaries, hunting, fishing, uh, all of those other things I said. And so our board said, we will give up to 25% of what it costs to conserve forest, but we need the other partners to bring in the other 75%. And that's a pretty heavy lift to ask Luneco Land Trust and other partners, but we felt like that was a fair sort of number to say that's what our customers are benefiting from this, but you find all the other people who are benefiting and let's all bring the money to the table. And so it has worked well, but it's a lot of work to find that other 75% of the funding. And so Matt, I'm going to turn that over to you so you can talk about that and all the, the benefits we've received from business partners.
3: Yeah. I mean, this work is expensive. There's no way around it. We're talking about purchasing real estate. You know, Mm -hmm. that's what we're doing and it's expensive. And the other thing too is is communicating about this and that's what in this podcast for instance telling this story making sure folks are aware yeah. both of of this resource and also the threats to it and to Paul's point you know who doesn't like the story it's an incredible story yeah. but the story you know the, the ending is still unwritten um, and yeah. I, I believe there's a great ending here but but we don't know that. And we're, we've got this opportunity to write that story, to create our own ending, and that's where partners are, are just so critical. There, there are so many things to care about, to be passionate about in the world today. Yeah. It can be overwhelming at times, right? And you know, where can we as individuals, you know, what are the action steps we can take? What, what can we do? You know, where can we apply our passions and our values? And you know, that's that's what this is all about right we're we're sharing a value proposition to people and you know, if you if you do a Google search of uh, you know, land trusts, luneco Land Trust might be I don't know, you know, nine, 90th or something, or <laughs> you know, nine thousand. I don't know. Right. You know, it's just it's hard. It's hard as you guys know. It's 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 hard to to get an audience yeah. in a really competitive and large communication space. And so you know, the work that Allagash and, and others have done to amplify this story um, is essential. You know, we, we couldn't do it without these partnerships and, and then the financial support as well, you know, is critical. Every dollar counts, you know, we're, we're literally, you know, when we're getting ready to close on a piece of real estate, we're literally like counting pennies at the end of the day (laughs) to make sure, you know, everything's adding up. So I tell folks, you know, I did, you know, if they're like, I can only, you know, I can only give $5. It's like, well, that might be the last $5 we need. Yeah. Yeah to purchase, you know, 1500 acres of land, um, and to conserve that and make sure it's available to you and your kids to hunt and hike and mountain bike and ski, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, the, the Paul's got a great, um, uh, sort of, um, story he likes to tell, or it's not really a story. It's like, um, maybe a, a fable or something, but it's called partnership. It's called partnership math, Paul's partnership oh, math. Paul. And um, I'm going to try to tell it, Paul, Paul, I'm going to tell your, your partnership math equation <laughs> here. Um, but one plus one typically equals two, right? And in a partnership, or at least a well-functioning partnership, one plus one can equal three mm-hmm. or five or seven. Um, and, and that's the benefit. That's that sort of exponential benefit that partnerships can bring. And partnerships aren't easy, right? You know, and it, and it takes the right partners who understand each other, who are willing to work with each other, that that give and take. We're so lucky to have those types of partnerships within Sebago Clean Waters, Um yeah. And let's see, maybe one plus one will equal 20 one day. Yeah. I don't know. Is there a limit to your partnership? Well, I Matt mean, Paul? the I'm contributions
2: sure. <laughs> that Allagash has given, like Matt said, this podcast is, re- we're really grateful because we want people yeah, sure. to hear the story. But as as you know, Allagash has also contributed money to our, our cause and individuals have, and other, other um, business partners and foundations, every one of those contributions is magnified because as a water utility protecting a drinking water supply. Sometimes there are federal dollars that are available to water utilities to do th- work like this but it has it always comes with a match requirement you know it's not money mm-hmm. that just is handed over to water utility you have to show that you're drunk and, and i love the idea of match when i first started getting into this work i thought this match thing drives me crazy it's so mm-hmm. important because it should it's sort of like the federal government saying we'll help you to fund your effort but you have to show us that locally everybody's behind this or you have and and so every dollar that is donated to Sebago Clean Waters really becomes two, three or four dollars because mm-hmm. there are federal dollars available to water utilities and to land trusts. Sometimes there can be foundation money and foundations will often say, where's the match? Because And, yeah. and we have worked really, really hard and we value every dollar, as Matt said, every dollar that's t- that's contributed makes a difference because it can leverage other dollars, and that's how we've gotten this far and we're we're not done. we're we're in the middle of a process and um but it feels like what I often say to our board is, this is happening in part, you know, because we put the 25% on the table first. Once you do that, then, then right. a land trust can say, we've already got a commitment of 25% of what we need. And the donor likes to hear that and says, well, okay, I'll write a check because now I know that it's magnified. And so every dollar from Allagash has made a big difference for us.
1: Yeah, it's it's wonderful to hear. And I feel like maybe, Brett, you and I should have started at the top of the program with a little bit more context <laughs> as to why we're having this conversation. But Spago Clean Waters has been a huge, you know, a, a wonderful partner of ours for a few years now. And, you know, beside the very large fact that we are a brewery based in Portland, the employees of Allagash live in Portland and consume the water, um, just personally, and you know, water is essential for our livelihoods. But brewing beer is a water-intensive process. It's a key ingredient in in beer, and so um, ensuring that we have the quality of water that we have currently. F- in the future is, is so important to us. And so, um, you know, the, the work that the Sebago Clean Waters team and partners are doing is just um, sort of a no-brainer for us to, to support. And so yeah. I think we use, I don't have too many stats here. I think we, the latest number I heard, <laughs> Brett, 3.1 gallons of water right.
0: yep. per
1: gallon of beer. So it's a lot of water that gets used um, for brewing. Yeah. Uh, and properties. that's actually,
0: Yeah, that's taken a lot of work to get down to, honestly, for us, because there are some, I think that's about half the industry average, is what we understand. And so there's, you know, there are a lot of breweries that use quite a bit more water for beer, but at the same time, like using as little water as possible and then giving back. The way that we've kind of structured our donations is that we donate 10 cents per barrel of uh, beer that we brew. And so that as we brew more beer, then we donate more money uh, to Sebago Clean Waters to preserve it. And so I think that's so far in our sort of three, I think three years of being involved. It's been $41,000 ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that right, Liz?
1: Yeah, we just looked this up the other day. Which is great. And that's great.
0: Th- there's a point that I want to make too that I think Paul, you, uh, Paul and Matt, you were both talking about, is just like there can be this feeling when faced with such a humongous task that is like, ah, you know, I only have, like you said it, Matt, of like that $5, that's all I have. But it's like, it really is Every every gain we make is like a permanent gain. You know, it's not like that 17% ever goes away. It's just, you just keep have to creeping up and up and up. And it's like, I don't know. It's, it's pretty inspiring once you see, like, you know, if everyone's just putting in a little bit, just a little bit, the, just kind of keeping it in mind, you can achieve this. We can achieve this thing for this. Like, I'm really glad we started talking about Sebago Lake just as a lake, because it's like, I feel like I take it for granted how good the water is here. But then, you know, like hearing about that, thinking about that. Every time I go to the tap, I do honestly a little bit. Every time I go to the tap, I'm just like, oh, good old main water.
1: So it's like I, either of you will know this step better than I. It's like one of 50 water sources in the country that doesn't require filtration. Correct Correct me if I'm wrong that, there. That
2: is correct. <laughs> Remember I mentioned that one measure of lake water quality is turbidity. And mm-hmm. if a lake or a river that you're using as a drinking water supply becomes too turbid or has turbid episodes like after a storm event, which some do like, and um, then you have to have some kind of physical barrier between your water, your source water and your customers. In other words, you have to remove the particles so that the disinfection will work and will work efficiently. And well, Sebago Lake is one of about 50 or so water supplies in the country out of 13,000, by the way. So 50 out of 13,000 that is so clean that it does not require that filtration step. So not only is that great news because that means we've got a clean source that can be enjoyed by people for swimming and boating and everything and fishing. So that's great right there, but also the cost of a filtration plant we our last estimate is it would cost one hundred and fifty million dollars for us to build that. And remember, almost everybody has already done that. Twelve thousand nine hundred and fifty water supplies have already built that filtration plant. And we're a nonprofit. You would pay for that. You know, it would just yeah. it would have to be added to water rates to pay for that. So. We don't want to do that. We would rather avoid that both because that's money we'd rather not spend. You'd, we, it's your money we'd rather not spend. But but it also means the lake is cleaner and, and, and all the land around it and the watershed is available for habitat and hiking and all that. So like, again, who would be against this? But I would also say that if you were to, if a lake were to decline such that you had to build filtration, it could be done. Like engineers could engineer a system to remove the particles. It could be done... I mean, in, in New Orleans, they use Mississippi River water, which I'm sure is not pristine like Sebago Lake water. Right. So it can be mm-hmm. done. But to treat water, to remove those particles, you add chemicals to do that, you use power to do that, electricity that and that costs money. And mm-hmm. so it's and it's not as safe. Like what would be safer to never have the pollutants in the water or to allow the lake to decline so the pollutants are there and then engineer the removal of them. What would mm-hmm. you rather do? Well, of course you'd rather just never have those pollutants in there. So it's really a no regret strategy what we're doing because it's only, only good things are gonna accrue if we can ensure that that watershed forest stays healthy.
3: And it's also a lot
2: cheaper <laughs> to protect the watershed. <laughs> yeah,
3: it's a lot. You know, it, it's. Exp- I talked about how expensive it is, and it is expensive. But it's not 150 million dollars expensive. Yeah. Our latest estimates are anywhere from 30 to 75 million to reach our our watershed protection huh. goals. Um, you know, and that and it, things can change. Real estate markets can change, etc. Um, the cost of land ownership will change, but. That's a lot. That's a lot better than 150 million dollars, and that's just the, the, the first time cost. It's the startup yeah. cost. It's not including those annual operating costs. Right. So it's, you know, and with a filter, you, you can't hunt in a water filtration plant. You, know, you can't go ride water your bike bank. in a water filtration plant. Right. You can do that. And, and even possibly.
2: though that number is still a big number, you know, the numbers that Matt just put out there, the cost of the land, the water district's trustees have said we will contribute up to 25 percent of that. So take that number and divide it by four, and you're down in the. 10 million dollar range say or 150 million which is which makes more sense and so that's really yeah. why the partnership formed because all the partners are better able to reach the goals that we share together if we all worked separately it would cost more and we would do less totally
1: we had a friend a brewery friend visit a couple years ago from Pennsylvania now that's and, right. and yes.
3: he Dang. you know
1: he was there to enjoy our beer and to I used to show him around Portland and he was like yeah the beer is great but I just want to take the water home <laughs> and we were like you know what we're okay with that you know yeah. he had just he could not get over how good our water tasted here and I think like Brett you know we can sort of take it for granted because we don't really know anything else but yeah. there are definitely other parts of this country that you know, it, this is, this is a, a really, uh, special thing. So, um,
0: I think uh, yeah. the takeaway is pretty clear. I think Matt and Paul, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the takeaway is if you want to be involved or if you want to help out, go to sebagocleanwaters.com. I think it's actually, I have it right here. It's yeah, SebagoCleanWaters.org, actually, or just search Sebago Clean Waters on Google like a normal person who doesn't put in full URLs <laughs> into their browser. Uh, and you know, give if you if you if you believe in this, if you're near us or even if you're not near us, I think it's it's a, a great idea to to help out.
3: Yeah, yeah, and drink Allagash there beer. You go yeah, and, and, there you, you know, go, and you know, and there are, there are other uh, breweries in Portland who have made you know similar pledges or contributions. So you know, drink beer from Portland, Maine, and enjoy the incredible quality. I mean, I, I was just out in Utah skiing, mm-hmm. of course, <laughs> skiing and um, no offense to, to Utah and Salt Lake. It's great. It's a great city, but man, they, the beer is not the same <laughs> as it is here in Maine. So drink Maine there beer. It's That's incredible. Right. It's incredible. And you can support, you know, this work while you're drinking your beer. I'd
2: like to add, make one other point if I could. And that is that yeah. I, we all, I, I feel like we are all thinking about, How can we treat people more equitably? How can we be more fair? How can we do good by all people, not some people? And I feel so good about the work that we're doing because the water that is being protected is consumed by rich and poor. everybody mm-hmm. is benefiting yeah. and the land that Luneco Echo Land Trust and our other partners are conserving is open for public access in many cases most of the you know there's uh, it's one of our virtues or one of our values is we want to mm-hmm. conserve forests that will allow public access so the land is being protected for all and the water is being kept clean for all equally it doesn't matter who you are you're benefiting and and so those kinds of things just make me feel good about every, every tran and I, and it's forever too. This is the other thing is conserve land. When, when the land, when the land trust conserve, puts an easement on land, that means these woods are gonna treat our water naturally forever. And yeah. so, you know, again, when, when do you get a chance to work on something that is forever for all and all benefit equally, you know, I just feel so good about it and I hope people listening will, will hear that too and, and um, be moved to help us.
0: Awesome,
1: yeah, thank you both. This was just a, it was a joy to talk with both of you and appreciate it. I feel like i I am feeling better uh, about the state of being, which is can be tough uh, <laughs> these yeah, days. Yeah, so
0: yeah.
1: um really appreciate it uh, taking the time to join us here.
0: Yeah, thanks so much. Thank, thank you guys thanks thanks for for having having us. Awesome. Great. See you later. And bye.
1: That's it. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks, everybody. We did it. That's it.
0: it. <laughs> well, Paul and Matt, thank you. It's yeah. been a pleasure. Yeah. really, Very yeah, much appreciate guys. it. Enjoy. Have a Enjoy great weekend.
1: Yep. Yeah. Right, you too. Have a great Bye. weekend.
0: Bye-bye. This has been an Allagash Brewing production. And if you have something you want us to talk about on the show, shoot us a message at podcast at allagash.com.